You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, Isaiah 43 is where we're going to start today. We're going to be in two places. Isaiah 43 is where we're going to begin uh, as we look at, uh, at, at this idea that uh, today, this, if, you've got a, if you're taking notes, the subtitle of the message is God's doing a new thing. God is doing a new thing. We're going to begin here in Isaiah 43. And uh, just to set the context, this is a prophetic message to uh, the people of Israel, God's people, as they're... Uh, about to go into a difficult season, but even before they went into a difficult season, it's so interesting how throughout, uh, just throughout God's word, especially in these Old Testament prophetic books, they would be experiencing often as a result of, you know, spiritual decline and, and idolatry and all these things in the nation that the Israel would walk through very difficult seasons. And yet there was always something redemptive that God wanted to bring about. And so he would often speak to through the prophets of the Old Testament, a, a a prophetic picture of what restoration and uh, redemption would look like. And here he encourages them uh, as they're going through that season. And he's got several prophetic promises that we're going to point to uh, and, and uh, apply in our own lives today. Here's what it says. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. To redeem is to buy back, to purchase, to restore to its original value. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. See, you know, what belongs to me, I take personal responsibility for. Are are you with me? So I'm responsible for my three wonderful, beautiful kids, which are in the room right now. That's why I'm going to add adjectives to that. Uh, three, you know, I'm responsible for even my dog. I have no adjectives that I can say. For <laughs> Everybody's like, stop being mean to your dog. Okay. There, there's, there's, there's something about what I, what's mine, I'm responsible for. And why I say that is God says we're his. His people belong to him and God takes personal responsibility for you and for me. God fights for us. God watches over us. God cares for us. God provides for us. God strengthens us. He, he makes exceedingly great and precious promises throughout his word to provide for us exactly what we need. And he reminds them and he reminds us that he's our creator. He's our provider. He's our answer and he's our source. And he says to them, fear not for I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. God's not just, you know, I know we, we say and we know this biblically that for God so loved the world. And we think of that in a very broad sense, but God's also very personal. God loves the world and he loves you. Uh, he knows you. And when you pass through the waters, verse 2, here's the promise attached to that. Here's the result of his watchful care and responsibility for us in any season. He says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Can I remind anyone who's in a difficult season, maybe right now, that when you've got God with you, 
You know, one thing the life brings is, is some, some storms, some floods, some, some fires, some difficult situations. And yet, when you've got God with you, he says, I pr- I'm going to be with you and I'm going to rob that storm of the ability to harm you. That fire of the ability to burn you. I'm going to, I'm going to cause you to walk through this. I think of the children of Israel when they went to Babylon and the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown in the fiery furnace for standing for God in their generation. The result was they came out with not even the smell of smoke on them. And, and that's what having the presence and the promise of God does. Here's what he says, verse Verse 3, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Saba in your place. And since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, I am with you. And this is, this is so important. He says, he says, you're precious. You're precious to me. You're valuable to me. Can I just remind you today, you're valuable to God. Do you realize the value you have to God? That's so important because if we don't understand that, we try to find our value in lesser things that shouldn't define our value, that shouldn't define our worth, shouldn't define our identity. But when we recognize that what God has done for us, and I've said this many times, I'm sure people are tired of hearing it, but I'm not tired of saying it. If you want to know your value, look at the cross. That's what you and I are worth to God. Him giving his very best, him giving his son. He says, you are precious in my side and I've loved you. Verse 5, fear not. Once again, he says that, fear not for I am with you. It's his presence that's the difference. It's his presence that defines the outcome. It's his presence that assures us that no matter what's going on in my life, I'm going to get through. Because the Bible says he always leads me in triumph in Christ. So as I follow Jesus, the result is going to be, ultimately, his purpose is going to win out. God's purpose is going to be fulfilled. Now, the chapters in between is going to be the testimony that's being written. But at the end, I'm going to see God's faithfulness and God's work. And that's our promise. We sung that today, the victory we have in Jesus, because the battle does belong to the Lord. You know, walking with Jesus doesn't mean there won't be a storm or won't be a battle, but the good news is you've got him with you, and so you don't have to fear. All right, so here's what he he goes on. He says, I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west And I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar. I I, I think every, every parent that's praying for a prodigal son and daughter needs to mark this verse, write this down, declare this in your prayer time, and start saying, give up and hold not back. My sons, my daughters. Here's what he tells them. My daughters from the ends of the earth. God is a God who brings back home. Everyone who is called by my name. Whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. Let's jump down to verse 16 for time. He says, thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. He's pointing back to the great exodus as Israel came through the Red Sea. Who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Just like God's power crushed and destroyed the Egyptian army, God crushes your enemy. God makes the thing that's tried to hold you, pursue you, bring you back into captivity. He crushes it. Can I just tell you, God's canceling the assignment of the enemy over your life. And he, he, when, when God does it, 
he completes his work. And, he, and listen, there's some stuff that, you know, we struggle with, I believe, if we'll allow God's power to fix what we can't fix. If we'll invite Jesus to do what only he can do, we'll see that thing crushed. A lot of times we're trying to fight the battle instead of letting him fight the battle. But let's go to verse 18. This is our key text for this morning. Verse 18 and 19, do not remember the former things. He, he goes on after he's described victory, and he's, he said, fear not, I've redeemed you, I've purchased you, I've, I've brought you back, I'm going to gather your sons and daughters, I'm going to restore and redeem and heal, and all those things. Then he says this, don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I've got two points for you today. The first one is this, it's the title, God is doing a new thing in your life. God is doing a new thing in your life. And, and, and sometimes, you know, as, as God will put a message like this on my heart, there's just kind of, I, I'm trying to put language to something that I believe God is doing right here not only in our church, not only for us, but he's doing it in your life, that, that God's doing something new. And when he says this, I'm, I'm doing something new, he's saying, don't look back, don't remember. And I, I think that's so unusual because there's many times in the Bible that God values and even commands his people to call to mind what he's done. To remember the testimony of the Lord. I think testimony is so powerful as we look back and see how he saved and how he redeemed and how he restored and how he healed. And, and, and we like to share testimonies here as a church because it encourages the faith that, they, that people find out, oh, what could God do in my life too? And, and it's important to mark those moments. You know, there were, when Israel crossed the Jordan River, they went back to, as they had crossed over on dry ground for the second time in their history, God parted the waters and they crossed over and a great miracle took place. They gathered, before they finished crossing, they gathered stones that they set up as memorials so that future generations would walk back those markers, those pillars, those stones, and ask, what is this? And it would give future generations, families, parents, grandparents, a chance to point back and say, well, let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you about the goodness of the Lord. Let me tell you about his faithfulness and his promise. And I believe that's so important that we call to mind those things. But here what he's talking about is not a testimony and not to remember, not, not, not forgetting those things, but he's saying don't remember, don't look at what went before to determine what could happen next. I think a lot of times we get so used to the way things are, even in church and even in our relationship with God, that we, we anticipate what God could do by what we've seen him do. And he says, don't remember that. Don't look back and let that be a restriction because I'm doing something brand new. You can't evaluate where you're going just based on where you've been. You can't evaluate the, the destiny and the future God has based on, in fact, I think it's, it's even more, uh, if I could, you know, drive this home, when we are preoccupied with what came before, we don't see what God has ahead. We're preoccupied, you know, with the good old days. <laughs> what, what, what should have been and could have been and what happened and all that's fine as long as it doesn't keep us from seeing what God wants to do now today in your life. And, and you know, the negative's true, too, that often we're preoccupied with things that went wrong. 
how somebody hurt us, how somebody disappointed us, how someone fell or uh, failed us, and, and, or we've made mistakes, and we look back on the history that's happened, and instead of recognizing that Jesus came to redeem, and, and you can't, see, I, I think this is so important. You know, we see this in the, the biblical story of, of Joseph where his brothers did everything they could to, to destroy his future. His own family, his own flesh and blood, those closest to him. Sometimes those closest to you can often have the deepest wounds. Even, even in God's house, when we expect something to be different, but then it, we're wounded. And, and if we don't get healing from Jesus and we don't bring our hurts to God, what ends up happening is we don't see a way forward because we're living life in a rearview mirror. Message Bible version of this is this in verse 18. Forget what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert, be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out, don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert and rivers in the, in the wilderness of the badlands. So, so here's, this is so, I love this. He says, I'm making roads and I'm making rivers. Roads mean that God's making a way where there isn't one. Um, I was just telling a story to my kids uh, a day or two ago about a uh, camping trip that almost went wrong. And uh, uh, me and Buddy were, were backpacking through the, the White Tank Mountains, which are uh, west of Phoenix. And when we left, we had to leave late in the evening. And when we left in the evening, we, we had to go through a dust storm, which is always fun to hike in a dust storm. It's kind of the only disaster that Phoenix has, except heat. And so it's, uh, so we went later, you know, which it wasn't too hot. It was hot enough, but then, but the dust storm made it really hard to see. So we're carrying all our gear and we're, we're hiking up and it's a 12 mile hike over very difficult terrain. And, and, and as it gets dark, we realize that we've lost the trail because we've gone a trail that, that isn't well maintained. And so the signage we found the next day, uh, the arrows that should point us in the direction we are meant to go are actually on the ground. Because uh, it's nobody maintains it, and so, but we're, we've got to this trail, and at about midnight, we realize we can't find the way forward. Always see some beady eyes looking at us, and, and we don't know if it's mountain lions or anything else. Uh, you know, I just, I, I don't have to be fast. I just have to be faster than my friend, and so, so. <laughs> And so we, we decide we're going to set up camp there. You know, they, they said, don't, don't camp in that spot because it's a, it was actually a dry riverbed and the soil was very fine. And, and, and so, but we, we did anyway because uh, we didn't want to take our chances with the mountain lion. So we, we set up there and we don't realize that we've lost sight of the trail because we've hit a, a sheer wall. And we've lost sight of the course that we were supposed to take because there was about a six or seven foot climb we had to take. Not significant, but big enough that at midnight you can't see it. And so we stopped and camped there because we couldn't see a way forward. I, I think there's so many people that stop in places they shouldn't stop in life because they can't see a way forward. They stop in hurt. They stop in shame. They stop in fear. They stop in worry. They stop in all these brokenness and offense and hurt and bitterness and all this stuff. Uh, life disappoints. We get let go from a certain place. And, and we have all these moments that could define us. But with God, he says, I make a road in the wilderness. Yeah. You can't see a way forward, but I see a way forward. 
And God makes a road in the wilderness. Not only that, but he makes rivers in the desert. That means he provides. There's a reason why throughout human history, cities and communities are often built on rivers because there's supply, there's resource, there's provision attached to that river. There's everything you need when we recognize that God provides rivers and he doesn't just provide them, he provides them in the desert places of life. Where we go, I, I, I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but I'm going to trust you. I don't know how you're going to make a way. And then he does, and then we think, well, you've made a way, but I don't know if I should take it. <laughs> I don't know if I should walk on that road because, you know, walking on that road means I might be misunderstood or I might be mischaracterized or I might have to sacrifice something or I might have to, I might have to take steps where there's less security. But he makes roads. He makes a way, and he makes rivers. He provides exactly what we need. Point number two, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time, is this. Beholding these new roads requires a change of heart. Requires a change of heart. So for me to recognize, and if we can pull up verse 8, I want you to catch this. I had skipped this verse for time, but let's go back to it. Verse 8, it says, bring out the blind people who have eyes. And bring out the deaf who have ears. So, so now he's, he's not just talking about naturally deaf and, and blind. He's, he's describing how there's people who can't see, but they have the capacity to see. There's people that can't hear. And so Jesus would make this phrase. It was, it was a, a phrase that was probably used in their culture, but he would say it often. He would say, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And, he, you know, he's not saying, he's, it's basically like, pay attention, you know, really focus in, lean in and listen to this, get this deep down in the inside. It's, 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 don't just let this pass by. And he's, he's trying to drive this home because he would make a point and they would say, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. He gets all the way to the end of the book in Revelation and there's seven messages to seven churches and each one of them says, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the spirit, the Holy Spirit says to the church. And so there's a message that God's trying to communicate to his people, but for us to recognize it, we have to use the capacity he's given us to recognize, to see, and to hear. And so, but to, for that to happen, often it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of the heart. Uh, I don't have this for the slides for the media team, but Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27, here's what he says, I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit within you. That's Ezekiel 36, 26. It says, I'll give you a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments to do them. So this is a great prophetic picture pointing to what we have in the New Testament as the church, as God's people redeemed and purchased by the blood of Jesus, that when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord of our life, receive the gift of salvation, something happens in that moment. God begins to give us a new heart. We're transformed, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Religion tries to fix the outside. God starts right at the core of who we are. And he puts his spirit within us, and here's what it says. He says, I'm going to write my law on their hearts. I'm going to put my, my, my instruction on their hearts. Why? Because from the inside, it's kind of like when you got saved, when you said yes to Jesus, all of a sudden you had new desires. 
Things that used to fulfill you don't anymore. Things that you used to have no problem with, now you feel a sense of conviction about it. Because now there's something new on the inside. That's a good thing. Your heart is being changed. But even as a Christian, I found that many times our response to God, sometimes because of all, and we'll describe them in a moment, there's lots of conditions that create a hardness in our heart. Jesus walked with his disciples for three and a half years, and there were moments where he would turn to them when they weren't quite catching what he was trying to show them or teach them, and he would say, is your heart still hardened? Don't you see it? Don't you recognize it? And so for us to behold these new roads that God's making a way, we have to have a change of heart to see it and to respond to it. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8. I want us to, to look at this parable that describes four different conditions of the heart. We'll start with the parable and then Jesus' description of it. Uh, when a great multitude had gathered, verse 4, they came to him from every city and he spoke by a parable. A parable being a story to illustrate a, a spiritual reality or spiritual truth. Verse 5, uh, a sower, that is one who plants and sows seed, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down. The birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So then he walks away. <laughs> he gives a parable, and then he doesn't explain it. He will explain it, but he'll explain it to those that were his disciples, those that asked him. You know, I think there's some people that were probably in the crowd that they heard him teaching, they heard the word, they heard his instruction, his parable, all this, and, and they probably thought, well, that's interesting, but, but can you multiply the, the loaves and the fish again? Can, can you do a sign and a wonder now? Can you do something that, and, and he says, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because sometimes the parables were not just to illustrate truth, but actually to conceal it. And here's why. The very next thing that happens is the disciples come to him. The disciples come to Jesus, and the, this is uh, verse 9, and they say, they say what probably a lot of people were thinking, what does this parable mean? And he says to you, to his disciples, to you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But to the rest is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. It doesn't mean that Jesus is concealing it. Well, it, it's, you know, God, God never hides something from us. He hides things for us. He doesn't hide it from us to keep it from us. He hides it for us to discover as we draw near in relationship. And the disciples had Jesus, and they walked up to him, and they said, Jesus, can you explain this? And he's about to. And the reason he's about to is because they have a relationship with him. There's some things, honestly, you will not understand in the Bible or in God's purpose and plan for your life apart from a relationship with Jesus. He never signed us up to go, you know, I, I love, we're going to start a Bible school. I love Bible schools. But he didn't say, you know, go be a student at a Bible school and that's what you're supposed to do. He says, follow me. I can get a degree and be an expert in the Bible and miss Jesus. 
like there's there's something in religion that we become content with information and arguments and blog posts and talk about things on Facebook and all of that and none of that's you know well some of it's not good but we have allowed so many things to become a substitute for relationship and it's in relationship with Jesus that all of this becomes opened up Because he wants you not just to read his book, and I'm a Bible guy, but he wants you to know the author, because the author will unfold the book. Religious people without a relationship with Jesus are just mean. (laughs) All right. That's not in my notes. That's for free. Okay. Verse 11, now the parable is this. He begins to explain it to his disciples. He says, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. In other words, what the sower is planting, one of the other gospel versions of this parable, he explains that that the sower is Jesus. And what he's sowing, what he's planting, is his word. And, And why that's important is there's a lot of things I can invest my life in. There's a lot of things that I can build my life on as a foundation. But anything apart from his word and a relationship with Jesus ultimately will fail me. That's why I've got to get not just good ideas and philosophies and religious, uh, you know, uh, uh, pictures, but I've got to get... Jesus and his word, because the only thing that can change my heart and change my life is God's word. That's why as a a part of our values, you probably saw them if you came in the south door, one of our values is the Bible is our foundation. We don't want to ever move from that. God's word has to be our foundation in our life, because it's the only thing that can truly bring freedom. Jesus said if this is what defines us as disciples, that we abide in him and his word abides in us. He says, if, if, if my word abides in you, then you'll be my disciples indeed. And he says, you'll know the truth. I, I don't, there's just this idea in culture, and it's not a new one. You know, sometimes we think so much of this is new. It's not new. It's, devil has no new tricks. It just, you know, different names, same demon. <laughs> It's fun, nine o'clock, more coffee, okay. But, but this is important because the enemy is always after, one of the major things he always goes after is God's word. Take it all the way back to the beginning. He comes to Eve and he says what? Has God really said? Has God really said? Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and the first thing, the devil does is try to contradict the last thing that heaven said. The Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The enemy comes and says, if you are the son, turn this stone into bread. Jesus beats him up with the book of Deuteronomy. He quotes three times. It is written. See, God's word is powerful. God's word is life transforming. The seed is the word of God. And can I just tell you, God's word will work for anybody and everybody. My dad has a shirt, t-shirt that's Funny, but not theologically correct. Uh, It says, God loves you, but I'm his favorite. (laughs) You know, I do believe that God has favorite teams. Go Toros. (laughs) That's just my opinion, you know. But but here's here's what we have to recognize. Um, God's, God's word 
will work for anybody. God's will is his purpose is to display his goodness in the life of every person, every single person he's created in his image and he sent Jesus on the cross to die for. Every single one. But we know that most people don't experience the benefit of this and this is why, right here, what we're going to read. Verse 12. Um, Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who when they hear receive the word with joy but they have no root. They have no root system, no depth, and who believe for a while, and in time of testing or temptation, fall away. The third one is this. Now, when the ones that fell among thorns are those uh, who, when they've heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So to experience and see... God's promise comes down to a change of heart. There's four different people described here, four different conditions of the heart. Same word, same word, same seed planted, four different conditions. The problem is not in the ability and the power of God's word. The issue is never, I don't know if this hurts anybody's feelings, the the issue is never, the power and the efficacy and the ability and the authority of the word of God to change my situation. It's always has to do with the soil. Okay. So I got four, four, four heart conditions. Jason and team will get ready in a moment. Uh, I'm going to run through these quickly. The first one is the hardened heart. He describes four different types of soil, four different conditions the first one's the hardened heart. And there's lots of things that can harden our heart. Sin hardens our heart. Even, even as a Christian, when, when God begins to lead you in an area, speak to you in an area, but you don't respond to his word, the result is a hardening of the heart. He says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as they did in the wilderness and in the Old Testament, in the days of rebellion in Israel. Don't, don't harden your heart because the result of saying no again and again, is that our heart becomes more and more desensitized to God's word. More desensitized to God's presence. I've seen this in church. I've seen people that were broken and hurting and messed up and, and, and all kinds of issues and addictions, all these things, and they came in the door, and the moment they stepped in, the presence of God rocked them. And they go, what is this? And I've seen in that same environment People that have been in church their whole lives, no longer moved by him. No longer moved by his word. Because we become hardened in our heart when we don't respond to what he's sowing in. Tradition. You know, not all tradition is religious. First um, Peter 1.18 says, We were redeemed from the aimless conduct received from our fathers. Well, this is all I know. Well, maybe what we need to not remember today is what we've received that didn't work. And to start seeing God and his purpose for our lives in a brand new way. The second condition of the heart was the shallow heart. 
It's a shallow heart. It's, it's the condition of the heart that it says there was no roots, there was no depth. It's when I receive from God, but I don't allow God to go deeper. I'm content at a certain level. We, we say here all the time, you're made for more. And the reason we say that is we want people to, to go after more, more of what God has for them. You're created for more than what religion told you you could have. I, I loved it. My favorite thing to hear in church is here, I've been in church my whole life and I've never heard about the Holy Spirit. I've never heard about that. I've never heard about this. And I'm like, it's all over the Bible. That God has more for you. That God has more. But when we don't allow him to go deeper, we don't develop a root system. And as you know, a shallow root system cannot withstand the storm. We have just enough Jesus, just enough church, just enough Bible to feel religious, but God wants to do more. The third heart is not bad, but it's crowded. (laughs) The soil's good, but it's crowded. There's too much going on. There's too many things taking up space. There's too many things taking away from what God is trying to grow. And I think sometimes God opens up a road and says, here, I want you to take it. And we go, I'm, I'm too busy. I've got too many other things. And we miss God's best. And here's the language Jesus used, bring no fruit to maturity. Because we're preoccupied, distracted. And he lists a few, cares, riches and pleasures of life cares are literally, it's a Greek word, merimna, it means to divide the mind. So, so it's used in other places of worries, anxieties, cast all your cares upon him. So, so whatever is consuming or weighing down in my heart, whatever's taking my focus and my attention is actually something that's meant to choke out what God is trying to grow in me. So the answer is always the same. Start pulling some weeds. I gotta be honest, I'm kinda looking forward to pulling some weeds in my yard. Because I, I wanna see something grow in my yard now. <laughs> but you know what? When there's things taking up space in my heart and my life that God wants to fill, it's time to be as a grit. You, you, you know, anybody who's dealt with weeds in their yard, we all have, you've gotta get it at the root. Not just cut it. You got to get it at the root. And when we make room for God, God will fill. The last one is the prepared heart. It takes some work, but it's preparing our heart before God. It's drawing near to Jesus. And he says the result of that is what's going to be produced is a hundred times the seed that was planted. God always multiplies what he starts in us. Would you stand your feet? Let me pray with you. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.